Welcome everyone to the Success Podcast with Michelle Rickman and Jose Angel Manaiza Jr. Tonight we have a very special guest. We have Talita Phillips. And you are going to be inspired by her story, her victories, her struggles, and her her vision for Clary's health. And uh, I like to start by asking you, Talita. Talita, if you can share with us briefly about your journey that led you to taking on this leadership role in Clary's Health, if you can briefly tell us about your background, where you came from, all of like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not your your traditional story of um, taking on a, a CEO position. I think my journey with Claris started when I was 19 um, and I faced an unintended pregnancy situation. Um, and then the years that followed that where I was really um, felt very alone, um, hadn't shared my story with anyone. And when I first learned about Claris, I learned about it as a client um, in need of just healing from my own past and help um, to know that I wasn't the only young woman that had ever been through a situation like that. And so I went through a support group there and um, it changed my life. And I thought I would graduate from college and then I would move on and I would get a job as a consultant or whatever I thought I was going to do at that time. Um, but then I ended up finding out about this little tiny, at the time, tiny organization that had just a few services, and they kept asking me if I wanted to volunteer, so I started volunteering and then um, kept pursuing me for this leadership position. I was 23 years old, and I thought, there's no way, um, but eventually came to this point of really just sort of surrendering and saying, okay, if this is what I'm supposed to do, then um, I will do it. And God opened the door to show me that this is exactly where he wanted me to be. Um, and, you know, my my heart at the time was just to help other young women, um, but I would say I wasn't the most skilled leader. I just was a very passion-led leader at that time. And... Something that I know about you, tell us about your upbringing. So you were raised overseas. Tell us about that. So yes. born in, okay. Yes, I um, am a missionary. Germany. Okay, yeah. go for it. Go I'm for a it. missionary. I was a missionary kid when I was three years old. My parents decided to join an organization called YWAM, and they moved my brother and I to Amsterdam at first. So we lived in Amsterdam for a few years and then went to Germany and lived overseas until I was 13. And then they moved us to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So major shift, uh, major culture shock shift um, right in middle school. So yeah, I grew up, um, my parents were very mission-minded. So helping others was always something I grew up with. I had always had had a heart for Africa. My parents did a lot of work there. And so that's something that's still a part of my life now. And I've been able to sort of bridge my passion for the work at the nonprofit. I should say, so Claris means clarity. Um, and that's what we're really about, bringing clarity to what can feel like very confusing situations. And so we offer medical, mental health, and support services for pregnant women and families with kids under the age of five. But we're there before, during, and after difficult pregnancy situations um, to just love people through them and to 
be there for them. So, um, so yeah, it sort of is a blend of all the things that I've come to love in this life. I'm also a doula on the site, so I help women go through labor, and I help um, in the first as a postpartum doula as well after their babies are born. So my life is a lot of children, a lot of children, a lot of women, a lot of families. Um, but it's neat to see how um, I just celebrated my 20th anniversary at Claris and just to see oh, wow. how it all has um, become a calling in my life, really. 20 years. Wow. 20 years. I know. Crazy. What an inspiration. Wow. So since 2001. Yep. 2001. Yep, May, May of 2001. Yeah. So uh, Claris is a support center for young women who are pregnant or have children under the age of five, you said? Yeah, we're actually a licensed medical clinic. So we have a clinic in Linwood, South LA. We have a clinic in West LA. Um, we have a support center um, as well where we do everything from parenting classes. We have a sexual health education program that goes into schools all over the city, youth groups. Um, and then we have a mobile medical clinic that is all over the city of greater L.A. County where we do, um, outside of pregnancy services, we just do medical health screenings for largely... Um, individuals experiencing homelessness. We go into housing communities and lower income neighborhoods, and we just bring medical care into communities where either they lack access to care or have a high mistrust of the medical community. So we're definitely broader than just pregnant women, um, but that is still sort of our, our focus, is helping women as they find out they're pregnant, helping them through that decision-making process, and then in the months and years that follow, um, we also do court-mandated parenting classes for those who need that, STD testing. So our list of services is very, very, very broad. It's hard to sum it up. But, um, <laughs> yes, we've grown as the needs in the city have grown as well. So along with um, uh, 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 STD services, uh, what other services do you provide we provide pregnancy testing, we provide STD services, we general health screenings, we do prenatal care. Our prenatal care is based on a model called centering healthcare where it's group-based prenatal care. So it brings community um, group education. So instead of a 10 minute visit with your provider, it's an hour and a half visit where you get education, you get shared learning, you get to process together. Um, and then we offer professional therapy, we have support groups, we do adoption support for those who are choosing adoption, birth mom support, we have post-abortion support for those who choose abortion. Um, we offer peer-to-peer um, -peer parenting, childbirth classes, we connect them to doula services, we give oh my goodness. diapers, wipes, crib, anything you need, material assistance. Um, we have the sexual health education program that's in schools and youth groups. And then um, uh, there's more, but I'll stop there. <laughs> that was a lot. There's more. Oh there's more. I think you laid it all out. It just, it just goes on and on and on. And yeah. I'm surprised uh, with an organization like yours who does so much for, um, 
for expecting moms and moms and, and um, that uh, your uh, business is not more public. You yes. know, this is the first time I've heard of uh, Clara's, Clara's Help. Yes. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, this is the first time I've heard of that. And it's such an important organization because it yeah. helps women on so many different levels. Yeah. Um, so how does a person um, find out? I mean, do you, or do you guys do outreach programs? We do. We do. Um, I know. And it's, it's interesting. So some of our patients years ago, they always said, you guys are the best kept secret. And so we've really worked or tried to um, become more visible. We have about 240 community partners in LA. So a lot of our referrals come from other agencies um, or past clients who refer people to us um, or Google, you know, we're, but we are entirely um, privately funded. So we're not a a government funded organization we're not you know we still are are relatively small we do a lot but our staff we're a staff of 18 um spread across all these different locations so we're still kind of small but uh, most people find us online they still you know searching finding us or they're referred by another organization so awesome. Wow, that's amazing. that's amazing. That's wonderful. I take my hat off to you for, you know, for making a commitment uh, to your organization. And you've probably helped so many women, mm-hmm. so many women. Can you share some of the, the um, experiences that you've had um, within your organization? Maybe a, a young woman that you met who was uh, lost and confused and how you guys were able to um, support her uh, through whatever decision it was that she made. Yeah, definitely. And there's so many stories and we actually have a YouTube channel where you can watch Mm. several videos of of lives that have been impacted. I think one of the stories that that hits me the most, um, because a lot of the women we work with end up becoming we become family to them and in a lot of ways they become family to us and um one young woman came to us and um was initially not going to carry the pregnancy because she just felt that it was too overwhelming there was a lot going on um she brought her boyfriend at the time with her and when they came to our clinic and um I think it was their second visit. We did an ultrasound to confirm the viability of the pregnancy and discovered that it was twins. And so she found out she was having twins. They were both just overwhelmed, but also very excited. I think just so blown away that it would be twins. And so they made a commitment that day that they wanted to um, have the babies and wanted a, needed a lot of support. And so it became an incredible journey of building the sort of network of support for them. And um, they, she gave birth early, pretty early to the twins. And when they were three months old, one of the babies ended up passing away. And it was a very, oh, no. very traumatic um, experience. And um, we were the ones they called when um, the baby one baby was rushed to the hospital. And so I went to the house. She went to the hospital with the baby. 
I went to the hospital. Um, I think I was the first person there. And then later that night took the other twin home with me and he ended up, I had a four month old at the time that, uh, so I have a biological daughter that was at the time she would have been five. And then I had a four month old. And so I brought this little three month old home and, um, or maybe he was three and she was five months somewhere around there. And um, for the next week, we were at the hospital every day and really just praying that this little baby would make it. He had stopped breathing, and so there were several days where we didn't know. And anyways, we were all in the room together when they ended up having to take him off of all of the machines. And so we went from, you know, celebrating a birth and helping these little guys and then the next thing you knew, we were planning a funeral for them. And so oh, we, that's devastating. Yeah, it was still to this day one of the hardest stories I've ever been a part of. And so we did plan the funeral and um, they went on, they had more children. And, but you know, a death changes you in so many ways and it impacted all of us. And so when I say we do life with people, we really do life with them, you know, for the, the highs and the lows. And they live in another state right now, but we still talk all the time. And there's just this connection we have because of that loss that they experience and being able to sit with them in their grief and not leave them, you know, to still be with them today has um, been really sweet. So that's an amazing story to come to you undecided whether, well, initially mom didn't want to have the children, the, the child, then finds out that she's having twins, delivers two babies, hmm. and then loses one. That is yeah. shocking. It's shocking, but it's it's a it's a story of of um, of um, bravery mm. and taking chances and um, being blessed, yeah, and learning lessons. Yeah. And probably she's probably they're probably the best parents ever. Mm. You know, mm. because to have loved and lost is uh, mm. wow. That's a tough one. Yeah. Especially when it comes to uh, children, because we don't, you know, as parents, we don't expect for our children to go before we do. And, and when that happens, it's a very, very um, tough pill to swallow. And some people never get over that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very glad to know that uh, that they're doing well. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, you know, I think sometimes you, know, you can't ever replace a child. And I think that's, that's what we see so often, whether it's adoption, because there's an element of grief to adoption that I think people forget about. There's still a loss. Um, abortion, there's loss. Miscarriage, there's loss. And then here, you know, it was the death of a child. And there's always this sort of hole in your heart of just the longing and the missing. And so it, um, and then there are other, one of the other twin is autistic, so pretty severely autistic. Um, oh, so boy. it has not been an easy mm. journey, but to not do that alone is mm. the key. 
right? Like to imagine grieving alone is so devastating. And I think that's something I'm so connected with because my story, I had an abortion um, and to have grieved alone and to felt like I was alone and I was the only one that had been through that was so much more devastating. It didn't, when I went through this healing journey, it didn't mean that everything was fine or that, you know, but I knew that I wasn't alone and that there was hope and that that didn't define my entire future. And I think that's the biggest thing of speaking hope over people's life, no matter what it looks like today, that this doesn't define you, that you, there is still a beautiful future waiting for you. And that we're not just going to say that we're going to actually help you try to achieve that. I think that's the, that's what Claris really does. Wow, that's wonderful. What a wonderful organization. Clara's Help. Yeah. So, so, here we are. You guys are at the marina. And <laughs> <laughs> yes. getting to know each other a little bit better. Yeah. So, you know, making the decision to not go through with the pregnancy... Um, that's, uh, that's a very difficult thing to do. And for, uh, a lot of years, uh, having an abortion was something to be embarrassed and ashamed about. And women did, uh, go through that alone because they couldn't tell anyone, you know, it's not something that you talk about, you know, it, it happens, um, you, uh, internalize it and you go on with your life. So what, what, what do you say to um, a woman who has made the decision to, um, to not follow through with the pregnancy? What would you, what would you say to her mm. so that she um, um, could, uh, you know, not beat herself up? Yeah, I think part of that is the, the beginning of what you said and, and, my story is you're, you're not alone. Um, and this doesn't define you. Um, and I think for some women, they, they make the decision because they feel trapped. And I think sometimes just acknowledging that, um, you know, some women, if, if they regret that decision later on, helping them realize that they made the best decision they could at that time. You know, I think sometimes there's just, this beating yourself up. Like I would look at my situation and I would say, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were missionaries. I quote unquote knew better. I, I never would have thought when I was 13 that when I was 19, I would make that decision. If you had told me I would do that, I would say, there's no way I love babies. I, I wanted to be a mom. It's all I ever wanted to be. And then suddenly you're faced with this reality of, oh my gosh, I'm in this situation. I don't see a way out. Um, I want to undo this, which it doesn't, you know, an abortion doesn't erase the pregnancy. Um, but I think to even giving myself grace to look back and say, you made this decision because you thought at the time it was the best decision or you thought it was your only choice. I didn't confide in people at the time who told me that they would be with me or they would take me to talk to my dad or, you know, your dad's not going to really kill you. All those things, right, that I think might have been helpful. I made the decision very quickly and alone with the only people in my life who, um, well, my boyfriend at the time said, I'll, 
didn't say much. I think he felt like he was supposed to say he'd be there no matter what I did. But the other people we told said an abortion would be the best thing for you. It'll be a quick and easy decision and you can get on with your life. And sadly, that wasn't true for me. Um, so I think I would just remind her that she's not defined by this. Um, she has a hopeful, beautiful future that will likely involve children um, and that she's not alone. And I think just allowing her to talk and process. And for some women that are really struggling, we, we have a 10-week support group they can go through to really process through all the emotions. And then at the end of it, we do this beautiful sort of release service and just sort of releasing some of that, those feelings of shame or guilt or even just releasing that um, child so that you aren't holding on to that. Um, and so we do either a balloon re release or we light lanterns and allow the lantern or we've done roses in the ocean, you know, just some sort of a release that women can let go of the pain of that um, and know that they're healed and forgiven and whatever it is that they're holding on to, um, that they have a bright future. So we've talked about the women. Let's talk about the men. There are some men who feel powerless because it's the woman's body and ultimately she makes the decision. How do, does your organization handle or cope with the men? The men who want the baby, who want the woman to go through the, with the pregnancy and she doesn't want to. Is there support for them? I'm so glad you asked this question and no one ever asked this question. So I'm so thankful that you did. And um, when I met Jose last weekend, one of the things I say when I talk always is we know statistically about one in four women will have an abortion by the time they're 45. And I always say for every woman, there's always a man involved, whether he's encouraging her to have the abortion, whether he's silent or whether he actually doesn't want her to. And he's often pleading with her or fighting for her not to, um, but he has no choice in this. He really doesn't. And so we absolutely see those men. We meet with those men. And just like we support a woman um, through and after this, we do the same for him. Legally, there's not much he can do, um, but emotionally, there's a lot of... Um, Sometimes it's hurt. Sometimes it's anger. The feelings of powerlessness are really tough. So we have therapy services if they want to talk to a professional counselor. Our post-abortion support group is for women and men. And we've actually, we used to do them separate. And now we do them, co we do co-ed groups. And it's so powerful for men and women to sit in the same group. Because so often women think that the way that, the man in their life reacted is how all men react and the men think the way their the woman in their situation reacted and often even what they think isn't real because they didn't communicate well so it's so powerful and healing for them to hear from the opposite sex and what they were actually thinking like we had one guy who said you know while she was in there having the procedure i was pacing the halls and he said, I was trying to get up the courage to just bust in there and 
tell her she didn't have to go through with this. Well, at the time, his girlfriend wow. was in the group with him, and she said, are you kidding me? That's all I wanted you to do. And this was 10 years later. They had never talked about that. She said, I thought you just left and got a sandwich. And, you know, so to find out, like, there's often just such miscommunication. Wow. And so if somebody hasn't gone through with the abortion yet, and a, and a guy is telling us, I really want her to have the baby, and she's saying, I really don't, a lot of what we provide is just the space for them to communicate honestly with each other in front of somebody that can help translate what they're saying. Because a lot of those conversations are so heated. Um, and sometimes they're making decisions based on an assumption of what they think the other person is thinking or feeling. Right, right. So some men, like my brother, um, I have a younger brother. He's uh, in his early 50s. And he's been raising his son since infancy. Wow. As a single parent, mm. um, he was lucky to have the support of myself and my sister and my mom. But there are some men out there that are raising infants as a single parent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What kind of support are single dads can single dads expect to get? Yeah, all the same services. So we are parenting classes. I mean, aside from prenatal care, right? But our parenting classes are um, men and women. We actually teach them. Um, there's a um, a substance abuse treatment center that is all men. We teach our parenting classes there. So many of them, while they're receiving treatment, will take the parenting classes so that when they get out of the um, facility, they're able to have reunification with their children. But our single dads, we have many single dads who come to us and they come. Our classes are fun. Um, they're sometimes they're different topics. So it could be nutrition. We have one just on like basic dad facts and helping with, you know, communication or discipline or sleep or making your own baby food. You know, we have so many different classes. Dads come, single dads come, married dads, married dads come. And um, a lot of times we've found they love the community of knowing that there's other dads and talking to each other and, and learning from each other. And um, they also get all the material assistance if they need it or want it. So diapers, wipes, food, um, car seats, strollers, anything, basically anything they need. And then we do special, like we work a lot with Baby to Baby, an organization in LA that will supply um, incredible um, baby and parent items. And so we've done, for Mother's Day, they've done these great gift baskets. Well, we have gift baskets for dads of all the essentials that they might need. So, yeah, all the same services. Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's wonderful. wonderful. I've, I found that, um, you know, fatherhood for men is changing. And um, I notice when I'm out and about, especially when I go to the parks or to the museums, I see dads with the baby, you know, carrying the baby. Yeah. You know, and so I, I'm so proud of men that uh, that take parenting seriously and that have realized that their role as a dad is so, so important, mm -hmm. not just as a provider, but as a nurturer, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm... Yes, I'm really uh, 
um, proud of you, proud of your organization for um, for uh, involving the men. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for so long. Yeah. yeah, for so long this has been seen as just a women's issue and we know it's we know it's not. And the healthier even if it's a co-parenting situation, the healthier you co-parent, the better. You know, and so just helping both with tools, with the community, with mentors and um anything else that they need is so powerful. That's wonderful. Now, do you guys provide formula? We, um, I have a new grandbaby. He's about three months old. Aww. And that formula is about $30 a can. Yeah, I know. It's so expensive. And, and, and they put it behind, you know, the register. Yeah. You can't even access it. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on with the cost of formula? I don't know if you know anything about that, but do you provide formula for um, for babies? We do for those that need formula. Yes, we do. And we actually get quite a bit of formula donated. Um, so for those who aren't breastfeeding um, or are supplementing, we do offer formula. WIC also, the women, infants, and children, WIC provides formula. So for a lot of people... It's not too hard to get, but um, it depends if they're not on WIC. We we also don't have, it doesn't, you can come to Claris regardless of what your income status is. We have no limitations. It doesn't matter where you live. Um, we'll serve anyone, which has been really neat because a lot of, there's wonderful social service agencies, but some of them, depending on their funding, can only see you if you're in this part of town or this ethnicity or this, all these certain certain requirements, and we don't have any of those, so we can help anyone. So if you ever hear of a situation or somebody, um, you know, we've had some really in the past year, just with the pandemic, the need has gotten so, is so great. So I mean, we've sent care packages to Lancaster and we've, you know, so if you hear of anything, if we don't have it or can't provide it, we likely have a connection to someone that can, and we're happy to do that. Well, thank you so much for sharing um, your story and for being candid and vulnerable and uh, letting us know about the service out there for um, women who are uh, faced with um, pregnancy. So um, I have a question. How can we go ahead, Jose? Yeah, I have a question for Talita. So Talita, if you can, what's the difference between a doula and a midwife? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <That's> a good, <laughs> the difference between a doula and a midwife. Um, so a big difference. So midwives um, deliver babies. So they're actually, you know, so if you think legally they're responsible, if they're either midwives can deliver at home or at a hospital or a birthing center, depending on what type of midwife. So a doula is just labor support. So I help women. I'm usually at home with them. Doulas are there typically much longer. I go more in early labor and then I stay with them until after the baby's born. 
So I'm helping massage and, you know, encouraging her to get in different positions and making sure she's hydrated and helping the partner with, you know, let's try this, let's move her here, let's do this, let's do that. Um, so it's very hands-on, very active, but I don't deliver the baby. I don't do any of the really hard uh, uh, medical. I don't do anything medical. I'm just support. Okay. And then postpartum doula, I'm more of what they used to call a night nurse. So I go into homes at night and help get babies sleeping on, like get them on a really good schedule. Oh, you stay up all night with the baby. Yes, I'm up with the baby. Parents, we get them babies in really good. So I try to, I try to work myself out of a job as quick as possible. So usually, <laughs> yeah, hopefully the babies are sleeping by 10 to 12 weeks and then I'm out of there. And then. Okay, uh, so you're there every day for 10 to 12 weeks? Um, It depends. Like right now I'm with two three families and one baby sleeping through the night. So I'm with two families and this has been a crazy season. Normally I would only work like four or five nights a week, but for a long time I've been doing seven nights or six nights. So split between different families. So you sleep during the day? No, because I'm at Claris during the day. So the doula's on the side. It's my second job. Give that woman a cup of coffee. I drink a lot of coffee. Yes, I oh do. Oh, my goodness. we got to get you a Starbucks gift card. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, I like coffee. That That's is fun. Amazing. Yeah, well, you would have to. You must like coffee if you're going to be up with two newborns as often as you are. Yes. That's yeah. amazing. You know, when I was a, a young mother, um, I was a part of a support group called uh, mocha moms yeah i know mocha moms they're still around yeah they yeah. are and, and so what i was uh, my title was mocha to mocha and what i would do was uh, set up and prepare meals for yeah. seven days when the baby arrived from the hospital the family would get seven meals for seven days so at least mom and dad didn't have to cook yeah they, they did have to get up in the night to take care of the yeah. baby but at least they didn't have to prepare meals on top of that so yeah. you know it's wonderful to uh, to be there for for moms and families and newborn babies they're so yes. sweet they are so sweet they are so sweet yes and what would you say, uh, Talita, is the vision that you have for health clerics, let's say, in the next five five years? <laughs> oh, my gosh. So the, <laughs> try to say this as quick as possible. Um, <laughs> so our, we have sort of three things we're really working on. And one, um, one we just launched, it's a virtual, an entire virtual care network. So a lot of our services, we're able to offer them now virtually. Um, it's be, this became a big during the pandemic when so many agencies shut down we stayed open the whole time so we were getting calls from all over the city but then it grew to other parts of california then we've been teaching some classes in vermont and new york and so we decided let's just launch make this permanent where we're able to counsel people online if they're outside of the area and then the second thing we're doing is we're trying to build networks of support in other cities so we're going to train other social service agencies and other nonprofits to work with pregnant families, pregnant specifically families. unintended pregnancies, so that if you're in Nashville 
um, you, we could counsel you online and then we can say, here's all this uh -huh. services, all the police people in your area. And we want to build out sort of a national database for this so that people can uh -huh. go in and find organizations yeah, that can help them that have been trained to help them. And then the third big, big vision, this is hot off the press. <laughs> um, oh boy. yeah, we haven't really <laughs> shared this with anyone. So here you go. Um, our dream is to open a campus in South LA, um, a large campus where we bring ideally 30, 40, 50 of these nonprofit organizations together under one roof. And we would offer, um, we hope to offer reasonable rent to other organizations and then people can come to this campus and get all of their needs met. So one of the biggest challenges is if someone comes to us but there's also a domestic violence situation and then there's an immigration situation and then there's a housing need and then there's job placement. You're sending them all over the city and it's so challenging with transportation and just all the follow-up. And so if we could have one place, they just have to get to one place and they come to us for medical and they need to meet with an immigration attorney and they're across the hall and then they need WIC and oh, WIC is on floor two and oh, you oh, need nice. job placement, go down there. But we also want to make it... We ideally we'd have a coffee shop and a playground so that they can say, have a safe place to hang out, build community. Our classes can be held there. We can have more classes because it could there could be a classroom and a gym and all sort everything that you need. So that's our vision. We're gonna we're hopefully launching a capital campaign in the next couple um, months. But as we're talking to other agencies, we've just been saying, if we did this, would you want space and and Everyone has said that they want to move in. So apparently there's a need and wow. people are excited. Absolutely. So I think, um, yeah, amazing. so somewhere right now we have a clinic in Linwood. We're thinking somewhere in the Linwood, Watts, Compton area, somewhere where it's close to a, you know, a bus line, easy access, but in a community where transportation can be challenging um, uh -huh. and just provide a beautiful, safe place for everyone. Talitha, do you guys, does uh, Clara's Health accept donations? Yes. Absolutely. Uh, where, okay, so where could someone, I would like to make a donation today. Aww. Because I believe in what you're doing. I think what you're doing is terrific. Thank yeah. you. Um, parenting is not easy. No. And, 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 and what you do is give relief to families. Yeah. And that is big. So I would like to make a donation and I would like to know where people can go to to make donations. Absolutely. So the easiest way you can go to our website, it's clarishealth.org. And okay. um, there's a big donate button um, on the website. Oh, big yeah. <laughs> you can also find <laughs> our um, our addresses on there if you if people want to mail in a check. Or you can reach out all of our contact on the staff page. You can find me and email me. Um, you can also find us on social media. Just look up Claris Health or Claris Health LA, depending on which um, one you go to. And yeah, we're easy, easy to find and would love to connect with anyone that wants to either to learn more or come visit us one day. We can give you a tour or you can come to our mobile. Our mobile clinic is pretty amazing. Um, or you could look up our YouTube channel if you want to watch some of those testimonies that I shared. 
um, just search for us on YouTube or Vimeo. And, um, okay, so that's clarishealth.org. Yes, and it's C-L-A-R-I-S, health. C-L-A-R-I-S? Yes. Well, all of your information is going to be at the end of the podcast. Yes. So that is terrific. So proud of you. So proud of you for the work that you did. Thank you. So nice to meet you. Yeah. Never done a podcast in a boat. This is a first. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope you guys uh, have a a good rest of the evening. And it's been a, a pleasure chatting with you both. And thank you so much for your time. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. We want to thank you, Talita, for your vision for a better future for men and women, you know, through Clary's health. And we want to commend you for all the the good work, you know. And thank you for inviting us into this beautiful future mm-hmm. that you're creating. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. For our listeners, visit health claris health.org claris is spelled c l a r i s health h e a l t h claris health.org and support this organization with all you can thank Absolutely. you everyone yeah Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good night. Good night. You too.